you know, this is where I, I don't know what's happened to me after that thing. I guess all the rules go out the window, but I, I've been putting these songs, hymns, and uh, I had that hymn, all six verses of that hymn, uh, to end the message. Isaac Watts called that hymn Holy Fortitude. That was his title for it. I don't know why we gave that one up. I don't know if Fortitude became like, fell out of favor among Christians or what. Um, but I, I thought it was a fit ending to what we're talking about. I, I understand, you know, what I preached this morning is somewhat controversial. I had uh, a couple challenges to it in the lobby after church, and that's fine. I'm all right with that. I'm cool. I'm down with that. Right. Um, but uh, I understand. But at the same time, and I don't want to re-preach the sermon, but we know we're in a war, right? Somehow we think we're in a war, but it's a nonviolent war, right? Um, one of the commentators pointed out one of our favorite hymns, um, Lead On, O King Eternal, right? Um, For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drum, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. And just pointed out that as much as we have, as believers, we have a duty, and I'm going to be preaching about that tonight, actually, um, to be gracious and um, to be kind and not to forget uh, justice and mercy, right? Uh, what is the whole duty of man, the Bible says, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. These are important traits of a believer. But that does not mean that the kingdom of God will come without violence. It doesn't mean that. It is not a nonviolent war. It is a violent war. It is, we have, to, we have to conquer. We have to overcome. We're called to do that. We're equipped to do that. God would not give us the armor of a soldier if we were not about to be engaged in war. If it was a nonviolent war. If we were just going to stand there and take it, for the team, and that was how we were going to overcome. This is not what God intended, so understand that. I, I love the hymn, I love the uh, the uh, anthem of war that's found in that hymn. I think it's great. Let's look at 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, and this is somewhat of a shift from what was preached this morning. We won't be preaching about the violence, taking it by force, um, but 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, uh, text that is familiar enough to us. I want to preach tonight on the ministry of grace from 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open the word together, I pray that you would use it to uh, encourage us, instruct us, and uh, give us the strength that we need and courage to go about the work you've given us to do. And I pray that we would understand the work in terms of everything that you give us in Scripture, not just a few of our pet passages. I pray that we would consider all that you say. And in this particular area, the ministry of grace that you've given to us, I pray that we would be good stewards of it. Please help me as I open the word to your people. I pray that I would have wisdom and enabling from you. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would govern and control in the message and uh, that I would say what should be said and that your people would receive it gladly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian's life is a life of grace. We know this. It is, I mean, that's the start of it. That's the finish of it. And that's what bridges, spans the gap from beginning to end. The Christian's work also is a work of grace as well. Peter identifies our ministry as a ministry of grace. Grace is what we minister to others. It is also how we minister to others. We minister grace and we minister it by God's grace. He is giving us the grace sufficient for our ministry and we are ministering that grace and by means of that grace also. See what the text says. We have received, notice what the text calls it, the gift. The gift. The gift comes from the Greek word charisma. You might recognize that word, charisma. The way we use that word, someone has charisma, they are brimming over with enthusiasm and personality, and they have a magnetic personality. And there are magnetic people in the word world. In fact, I say most people are magnetic. Some attract, some repel. You know, but everyone has a little of that magnetism in them. But that's the way we use it. A person has a lot of um, charismatic appeal there. That's the way we use the word. The Greek word charisma is a variation of charis, the Greek word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. The Greek word charisma means the gracious gift or the gift of grace. So, so the text is saying, as every man hath received, the charisma, the gift of grace. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. <clears throat> it is this gracious gift that God has given to us, you and me, individually, uniquely, um, but also general, common. Um, we believe that you know, we are born again and that uh, we have eternal life, that we've been redeemed. Uh, we believe that by, according to the promises of God, we believe that we have received saving grace, and that's common to all of us. So there's a common part, a common element, and there's also a unique, personal, particular element to this gift. The gracious gift that God has given us refers not simply to salvation. Salvation is part of that really the beginning, the place, the time where God gave you this gift, but also the enablements that we need to do his will. Our text says, as every man hath received the gift, that is, as every man hath received these spiritual enablements, <clears throat> even so minister the same one to another. So our spiritual enablements become a ministry to others. They are a source of ministry. 
They compel us to minister, but they are also what we minister to each other as well. Out of the abundance of God's grace, which he has provided to us, we minister to others. So, so when we minister to others, we're not, we're not reaching in and feeling around in the empty bag trying to find that thing tucked in the corner. I know there's still one down in here somewhere. All right? Because God has given us an abundance of grace. He's given us, uh, he's given us uh, more grace. He's given more grace, right? There's grace and there's more grace. Um, he has given us sufficient grace. All right? Now that, you might say, well, I, I'm, you know, one little pill of grace is sufficient for me. But no, that's not how God does it. He pours out his grace on you. You will not run short of it ever in your life. You will always have an abundance of it from which you are called to minister to other people. So that's what the Peter is saying here. If it's a ministry, then that also means that it is a responsibility. We are called to minister this grace to one another. We are at the receiving end of God's grace, but we're not just at the receiving end, like, like a um, stagnant pond that has the water flowing in, but then flowing out. We're not just a reservoir, but we are a supplier also to others. We must be at the giving end of that grace towards others. The grace we've received from God, then we minister to each other. Our text calls this ministry a stewardship. We are stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now there again, that manifold, manyfold, that abundance of God's grace that he has ministered to you, you minister out of that, out of the abundance that God has given you, you minister to each other. This is what God has called us to do. That explains the text. We ought to be good stewards, faithfully administering God's grace to one another. I'm going to build the main points of the message from that explanation of the text. So here are the three points I'm going to preach to you tonight. First of all, we have a ministry. Each one of us, we have a ministry. Secondly, our ministry in this text is described as a stewardship. I want to make a point with that also. And then thirdly, that stewardship is a stewardship of the grace of God. So we have been given this stewardship of God's grace. So we need to understand that in light of what it means to be a steward, but then understand what it means to steward the grace of God as well in our ministry to each other and to others. Let's begin then with our ministry. We each have a ministry. We are called to serve. The word ministry here in this text translates the Greek word diakonos. Now that's a fairly familiar, if there is a familiar Greek word to any of us, diakonos would have to be that familiar word. We naturally associate it with the office of the deacon, but understand that diakonos is not limited to deacons. 
The pastor is also a deacon. Uh, he is a deacon, a minister of the word of God. And this word here also makes all of you deacons, not as office holders, but deacon in the diakonos in the way the term is meant to be used. <clears throat> the word has a broad meaning. Uh, the Greek uses two words for servants, the doulos, which is a slave, and the diakonos, which is a personal servant, I think, um, in, in uh, the time when people had servants, you might call them a manservant or a maidservant. So the manservant was a body servant, someone who served you personally. Didn't just serve the house, didn't just cut the grass or trim the trees, but, but served you personally. So that's what this ministry is speaking about, personal ministry from one person to another. <clears throat> this is what it means to minister, to offer our personal services to God and to his people. Minister in this text is in the verb form, so it's not speaking of a servant here, but rather of a service. It's not just something that we have, like we have a ministry. It's something we do. As every man hath received the gift, even so, notice, minister the same. Serve each other personally, in personal ways. Galatians 5.13 says it this way. By love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. Now this is what we are called to do as believers and followers of Christ. By love, serve one another. Now, by the way, let me just say this. Not just when there's a crisis. Now, if you all are excellent. When there's somebody's having a hard time, has a surgery, something like that, you're there helping with meals, helping with housework, and so on. Um, I was visiting with Brother Nick yesterday, and he was telling me about the phone calls and the texts and people that stopped in to check on him, and he appreciates that. It's, it's crisis time for him. But we should be ministering personally to one another all the time, not just in times of need. I mean, what time is not a time of need, right? I mean, you have needs. I have needs. I have needs right now. You have needs right now. We all do. So there should be this, and that's what we're called to do, to minister personally to one another and do this without, I mean, certainly there would be an intensifying of it in a time of need, but this as a regular course of action as a church and as, a, as followers of Christ. And this command goes for all who have come under the power of God's grace. If you're saved, you are called to be a servant. You are called to serve. That's our purpose in the Christian life, to serve the Lord, to be his ministers. That might seem out of reach for us. How can I minister to God? Right? I mean, I fully understand how God ministers to me. But how do I minister to God? What can I do for him? Right? I mean, you think you've got that relative, right? It's impossible to think of what to buy them for Christmas. Right? Because they have everything they want. 
or need. And if they don't, they go buy what they want or what they need. So what do I get them? It's going to add anything, and then you feel silly even giving them the gift you may already have. You know, they, what do you give the guy that has everything, right? Already. Uh, this, but but this is even more so when, when we're talking about God. It's what does he have need of? He stresses that also, right? If I needed anything, he says, would I call you? <laughs> right? So how do I minister to him? Well, <clears throat> let me just say that the Bible teaches us that all of our ministry is to God first. In everything I do, I am commanded, in fact, to remember that I do it for the Lord, right? It is done as a service to him. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So <clears throat> everything I do, I, I don't serve you primarily. I, I know that I'm a pastor. I have a ministry of the word. I am to serve you, right? That, that's what the call of the pastor. I serve you by leading the church, by ministering the word to you and so on. But ultimately, I don't serve you. That's probably the, the most important lesson for any pastor to learn in the ministry is that he does not, first and foremost, serve the church. First and foremost, he serves the Lord. Otherwise, otherwise there would be a huge temptation to compromise, to coddle, to hold back and restrain from preaching the whole counsel of God. <clears throat> so I serve God First and foremost, that is my primary ministry. And because of this, our first duty is to be faithful. I must be faithful to follow his guidelines, his leading, his direction. By the way, you also, you're not serving me. You're not serving the church. You're serving the Lord in whatever you do. We have united together to serve the Lord side by side, to help each other in that service. And God, and we're going to see this a little bit later on, but God does a wonderful thing in a church. He brings in all kinds of people with all kinds of different interests and backgrounds and skills and gifts and puts them together in order to make, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts because we operate together so that your gifts and your abilities are not operated in isolation. It's magnified because of the fact that you serve the way you do alongside someone else who serves the way they do. You with your gifts, they with their gifts. And so it, it expands our ability. Uh, just like, you know, if you have a candle or a flashlight, right? And you shine that flashlight in this room late at night if you're in here shining your flashlight, it's possible that someone outside would see that or notice it, right? But if we turn all the lights on, then the light 
the power of that light expands and it reaches farther. And so that's what we're all doing. We are lights. We combine forces so that our light shines brighter and reaches farther. This is, this is what we're talking about. <clears throat> so God is my Lord and my master. I do his bidding. Whatever he asks of me, that's what I do. But I cannot, though, and I, I need to back up here and add to what I've said because I cannot really, truly, I cannot serve God unless I serve his people. God has not given us a means of serving him apart from serving his people. Okay, so <clears throat> this is the most direct way that you and I serve God by serving one another. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, get this, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Hopefully that passage, that, that verse is familiar to you because Jesus, when he commended his saints, when he says well done to them, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And that his people, his servants, will say, when were you hungry and I fed you? When were you thirsty and I gave you drink? And Jesus said, inasmuch as ye have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So if you really want to serve God, you look for people that you can help, people that you can serve, people that you can minister to. That is the most direct way that you and I serve the Lord. The very best way, in fact, to serve the Lord is to serve his people. Now, there are all sorts of ways that we might serve God's people. Part of our service to God includes proclaiming the gospel. And when we're proclaiming the gospel, I understand that we preach the gospel to many who are unbelievers, who will die in unbelief, who will die rejecting the gospel that we preach. But my job is in proclaiming the gospel to find those who will hear and who will heed and who will believe and be saved. And when I do, I have served God's people. Because that one who converted, that was one of God's people. I don't know who they are. I'm told to go out with the message and preach it, and proclaim it, and compel men to be that. I'm looking for them. God is working through me, and I am serving God by proclaiming the gospel. If you're instrumental in leading one of his lost sheep safely back to the fold, then you performed an important ministry to Christ. And he puts great stock in such things. And that would be an important way that we minister grace to God's people as well. If you lift up the fallen and strengthen the hands of the weak and encourage the fainting, if you make disciples for Jesus Christ, if you teach them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded, then you are ministering grace to God's people. So here is the question. 
What are we doing to serve the Lord? What are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing to serve the Lord? Don't shrug off the responsibility here. You may not feel highly qualified to serve him, but isn't it a wonderful thing that God doesn't call the highly qualified to serve him? In fact, he tells us that there's no such thing as the highly qualified to serve him. He says that. He calls you to serve him. He calls me to serve him. And I know, I know how we get enamored with the important men, the great men in any generation. But you know that the bulk of the freight of Christianity has been carried from one generation to another by no-name, common, ordinary <clears throat> Christians like us. Hardly anybody knows who we are right now, and no one's going to remember us after we die. But the work of God carries on through us, right? And that's our job, that's our calling, not to, not to make a name for ourselves, but to do the work of God to serve the Lord in our generation. <clears throat> The Lord says in 2 Timothy 1.9 that he saved you and called you with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You remember what he said in 1 Corinthians? God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. If you serve God with the ability that you have, you will grow in your ability to serve the Lord. You will. It's it's a principle of life. The muscles that you use become stronger. The muscles that you don't atrophy. Okay? And service to the Lord is a muscle work. You develop muscles. I um, have the privilege of doing yard work like most of you. I do yard work, right? Um, and it's good. It's good for me. Actually, on my days off, I like to work around my house. I like to work with my hands. For one thing, because my muscles are not engaged in that on a daily basis. And so quite often, I, at the end of the day, I feel a little sore, a little tender, because I haven't been using that muscle, right? But that helps me. That's good for me to do that. And the same thing, you use those muscles of serving other people and serving the Lord by serving other people and the result of that is that you develop a greater ability to do so. <clears throat> That's the point of our text. Look at the verse again. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same. What you've received, you minister. According to the special enabling, that's the gift, the special enabling that God has given to you, and according to the quality of and the quantity of grace that you've received, 
Even so, you are called to minister. The Bible says in another place, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, for if there be first a willing mind, and it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Okay, so our text is saying, according to the grace that God has given, the gift that he's given you, the enabling, the special enabling that he has given you, even so, minister that to others. Alright, so understand this. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is speaking specifically of giving, that the, the, your sacrificial giving still, and you can give sacrificially of your money, of your wealth, but still you are not expected to give more than what you have. All right? You can dream big. And, you know, when my kids were little, and we talk about faith promise, and sometimes they have some really big faith promise goals, and I would tell them, don't pledge that. Don't pledge that because you don't have that money. You don't have any way of knowing that you're going to have that money. And I know that, I know people say, but if the Lord laid it on their heart and he provided, well, I'm their dad, and I'm just looking at their possibilities for getting it and thinking that they're limited on that. And, and also because of what Paul said here, there's a willing mind. It's accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. That's why I believe in the tithe. The tithe is a percentage. Look, your 10% is the same percent as my 10%. may not be the same amount of money, but it's still 10%. All right? And that's, that's what we're saying. To give according to what you have and not according to what you don't have. You might have, not have much to give. But you should gladly give what you have to give. That's what we're saying. Not just money. The principle applies to what we give to the Lord in service. It might only be a widow's might of ability or talent. But if that is what you have, and if you gladly give it to God, then God is pleased with that. <clears throat> He treasures it, in fact, much more, much more than what he would value the gifts of the super talented who miser out their abilities, who don't want to give everything they have. It would be much better for you to pour out your widow's might of talent gladly before the Lord than for the super Christian over here who is always holding back, always keeping it for themselves. Be that. Be not, not the miser, but the gift, the giver. Pour it out before the Lord. That's what we're saying. Serve God with what you have. Pour it all out on God. We all have a ministry. We must serve the Lord by serving his people. But next, I want to point out the nature of this ministry. Because this ministry is a stewardship. So let's talk about that for a moment. The stewardship of this ministry. <clears throat> Since this ministry is a stewardship, 
That means that we are not to hoard what God has given to us. We're not to hoard it, but rather distribute God's wealth according to his will. Remember, the steward might be a very important servant. In fact, quite often the steward of the house was the chief servant. But still, the steward is nothing but a servant. He might be the chief servant, he might be an important servant, but he needs to remember that he is a servant, not master. So we're not to be hoarders of God's grace, controllers of God's grace. We are stewards of it. <clears throat> a steward is an administrator. He administers. Okay, so that, as opposed to, say, a librarian. Okay, you know the librarian, right? The reputation for the librarian. She's a little bit crabby, a little bit cranky, right? She views you as a threat to her books, right? And she is there to make sure that the books are kept safe from people like you. Yeah. That's the classic librarian right there. God made you a steward, not a librarian. Uh, librarians don't like to distribute the books. They like to protect the books. But you are not guardians of God's grace. You are the steward of it. You're not there to make sure that it goes to the right people, but not to the wrong ones. You're the one who distributes it, who gives it to those who need it. A steward served as house manager. In fact, the Greek title, steward, the Greek word, is oikonomoi. You might recognize that word. If I, maybe if I said it a little differently, oikonomy, oik, yes, maybe that would trigger uh, an English word in your mind. Uh, because our word economy comes from that word. The steward is the administrator of the wealth of the family. He's the family economist. <clears throat> he has no wealth of his own. He distributes his master's wealth according to his master's will and direction. Which is why the Bible places so much emphasis on the faithfulness of the steward. The steward Remember, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That is his first qualification. He must be faithful. Now, what is he faithful to do? You might think, well, because in our minds, we're thinking guardian, right? So he's got to faithfully guard the treasure of the house. No, no, no. Because the master of the house wants the, the money to be distributed the way it's supposed to be distributed for the good of the house. And so a faithful steward is one who follows the instructions and distributes the money according to the master's plan here. So the stewards are those who govern the household. They take responsibility to see that the wealth of the home is used for what the master intended that it be used for. That's it. God has given you his grace, and that grace that he's given you is not for you and you only. 
He has given you grace and made you a steward of it. Now, the steward of the house was definitely benefited by the wealth of the house, the clothes that he wore, his place in the community, even, his place in the house, the food that he ate, the, his lodging, his accommodations. All of that came out of the wealth of the house. So he is blessed himself by it, but God didn't make him a steward of that grace so that he could live fat and happy. God made him a steward of that grace so that the house will flourish and prosper, and so that the wealth of the house will be used the way it was intended to be used. So <clears throat> the steward benefits from the master's wealth, but his job requires him to share that wealth, to pay this, to purchase that, to invest here, to give there. The master's wealth blesses him, and he then is responsible to bless others with that same wealth. And he must do this according to his master's will. That is the Christian calling in a nutshell. That's it. God has poured out his grace on you. That grace is not for you to treasure and store up and lock away. It is for you to share with those he's told you to share it with. Share that grace with others. Right? We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But I want to be clear about what our calling is here. <clears throat> God has given you grace sufficient for your needs. But you are not to hoard that sufficient grace. God calls you not to hoard it, but to hand it out. So hand it out. The way he says, as widely as he says, to those he says, to hand it out. The Bible speaks, in fact, of two kinds of stewardship, and I wanna, I wanna show you this. We're very familiar with the first kind of stewardship, uh, the specific stewardship that is entrusted to the pastor teachers and those who minister the word to us. In most cases, when the Bible speaks of stewardship, it's speaking of those who serve in an official capacity, who hold a specific office in the church and that certainly is a special kind of stewardship God gives to those he's called and ordained we call it they, they, they've been ordained to we, we say the ministry right here those who devote their lives to preaching the gospel <clears throat> Paul in Ephesians 3 and verse 7 used stewardship this way whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So Paul recognized that he had a special office that God had given to him. But there's also a general stewardship that belongs to every Christian. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may notice the word, minister grace unto the hearer. Our text speaks of this kind of stewardship, the stewardship that belongs to every believer ministering grace to one another. 
If you've been given grace, then you have this stewardship. Okay? If you've not yet received the grace of God by faith, then that's discard everything else and concern yourself with that first. But having received the saving grace of God, understand as we look at the New Testament, we see that saving grace doesn't come like, you know, it's not like Amazon deliveries where I, I think we ordered some stuff not, not too long ago for our um, first, you know, something in our house. And uh, we got one package and it had exactly one half of what we ordered and what we needed. And then the next package came three or four days later that had the rest of what we needed. So when God saves you, he isn't like the Amazon deliverer delivering you the grace that you need so you can be saved. Because God is not a hoarder. He is not a miser. He gives abundant grace. And when he gives you saving grace, you find you open the package and, you know, it's one of those things. We've grown accustomed to the, you know, batteries not included kind of thing. Like they sell you this thing, uh, you know, and you get suckered into buying it. And you didn't read the fine print on the bottom that told you that the bike comes, but you've got to buy the, you know, handlebars and the seat and the pedals separately, right? Um, and so, so you, you got the frame. And now you've got to go out and hunt down the rest of it. All right, God doesn't do it that way. You open it up, and to your delight, there are spare parts. Lots of spare parts. Lots and lots of extra. That's what God gives you. When you receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the grace that you need to be a steward of that grace. <clears throat> People used to talk about Fort Knox all the time, and it was funny because I was listening to the radio, I think yesterday, um, you know, the Saturday radio shows, they're all money and, you know, good health, take this pill and you'll lose all your weight and be fit and for the rest of your life. So it's all that kind of stuff, and I'm, I, I just, the radio's on and I'm hearing this guy, and he was talking about when he was a kid, and he said, um, going to my dad for money was like trying to get money out of Fort Knox. I say that, I thought it was funny because you don't, when I was a kid, I heard that all the time. Uh, are you with me on that? Younger people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. What in the world was Fort Knox? Actually, I had to look it up to see what the deal was with Fort Knox. Like, why do they always talk about Fort Knox? But Fort Knox was the place where they kept all the gold that backed our money once upon a time. Back when money meant something, not just numbers on a little bill, but actual value that was backing that. And then we got rid of the gold standard and you know, from there uh, money can be manipulated very easily, which is anyway, another topic. <clears throat> but they used to say that a thing was as secure as Fort Knox. <coughs> or something along those lines. Now you're a steward. That does give you some responsibility to protect what you've been given. If you've received God's saving grace, then you must preach the gospel. And that brings me to the final point. 
the grace of God that we administer. I want to show you we are stewards of the grace of God. So we have a ministry. That ministry is a stewardship. It does involve some protecting and guarding, but by and large distributing. So now let's put it together. Notice what our text says. Again, in verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We minister the grace that we have received. The word as, as every man hath received the gift, as means to the degree whatever kind and quantity we could say of grace that we have received we are to minister to other people what grace we've received from god all who rest in jesus alone for their salvation have received saving grace and i already said you didn't just get that you got the whole package you got all of god's grace if we're stewards ministering whatever grace we have received, then that makes us stewards of, certainly of the saving grace of God. The saving grace is not all that we've received. Certainly it forms a significant part of the grace that we've received, and that's a significant part of our ministry as well, is ministering that saving grace to others. <clears throat> God gives us all kinds of graces, he gives us every kind of grace. But that's not all. The verse calls it the manifold grace of God. Many varieties, many purposes, many uses. God's grace is not like cubic zirconia, which you know differs from a diamond in that cubic zirconia has one facet. That's it. It's not multifaceted. A diamond has many facets to it. Uh, but with a cubic zirconia, you look in and you can see all the way through. You can't see all the way through a diamond because it has so many facets inside of it. And even so, the grace of God is many faceted, like a diamond. Now, <clears throat> some Christians are blessed with the grace of kindness. And hospitality, spoken of in verse 9, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. So some have that grace, kindness, and hospitality. Others are blessed with that fervent charity, an extra dose of that. Some have much patience, some good at encouragement. Some are blessed with Blunt matter of factness. I don't know anybody like that. <clears throat> Some with administrative skills. Whatever way God has given you grace, he calls you to give that out. That's, that's what we're saying here. If he's blessed you in a certain area, you are called to bless others in that same area. Don't think about all the ways that God has not blessed you. Remember again that it's expected according to that, that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. It's easy for us 
just think, well, I can't do that. And I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. And pretty soon you become like the DMV, you know? You can get that title transferred if you come on the third Tuesday of the fourth month between the minutes of 10.05 and 10.10. Hope you're first in line, all right? Um, I, I'm positive, absolutely positive, that the people at the DMV uh, take special training to learn how to make your life harder <laughs> and make sure, and I, I'm convinced that they get a bonus if they can make you come back to finish the transaction later on. Because, you know, it's like they get this special delight in telling you, well, we're not gonna be able to finish that one right now. Like, yeah, you knew that. I knew that, you knew that. I was planning on it all, all the while. Okay, listen. <clears throat> Our job is not to be the garden of no, right? Not this, not that, not this, not that. Yeah, I'm, I'm searching. I'm searching for that grace that God has gifted me with. And I'm just not finding it. It's not, you know, you haven't named it yet. You haven't named it yet. You have to keep guessing until you guess the one. No, no, this is not, we are to recognize, notice the way God has blessed us, the way God has helped us, the way God has specially enabled us and ministered to others in that way. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes you say, well, you know, pastor, I don't have a real great bedside manner. So when somebody, you know, is dying, or something suffering terribly, I'm probably not the person to go and minister to them. And that's all fine and good and wonderful until it's your mother or your father or your husband and hits home, close to home. And now what are you going to do? Yeah, I just don't have that gift. Sorry, babe. No, no. You need to realize that God's special enabling also comes in special circumstances. That God, in that circumstance, when this is what is called for, God calls you to do it. And when he calls you, his calling is his enabling as well. So don't review the checklist of possible graces and say, not that, not that, no, and no. But remember, it is accepted according to that a man have, and not according to that he have not. How has God blessed you? What has he enabled you to do? How can you serve? As you receive the gift, even so minister the same one to another. That is God's command. Notice Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now Paul continues, listing all sorts of ways 
that we can serve God by serving his people. Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So hear that, because none of these things are out of the realm of possibility for you. In fact, everything on that list is a way that God is equipping you so that you can minister to others. Everything. Nothing on that list is a special gift reserved for certain people. We administer these gifts of grace, the, the enabling that God has given us, which he gives us by bringing circumstances into our lives, experience into our lives, so that you suffer a tragedy, and then you're able to go and lift up the fallen, and catch their tears and comfort them and encourage them because God has given you grace so you're able to do that for others. That's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> we administer it one to another. Okay, so that, that means this is not like a theoretical ministry. It's not like I'm going about my life thinking only of myself but somehow magically I'm also ministering to other people. No, no, but there's a particular looking to be a help, to be an encouragement, to be a blessing to other people. But most importantly, the, the most important thing to point out to you is that it is grace that we minister to one another. It is grace. So, and I want to end with this thought. I think that you understand what I've been preaching, so, so get this now. We are not called to administer slaps or rebukes or serpents and adders or barbs and arrows. Now, most of us would actually prefer to minister those things to other people. There's, I don't know, there's something about that. We could talk about it. But we're called to administer grace. That's what we receive. That is what we must give. This is what I want you to understand. When God saved you, he gifted you uniquely. You are, your gifts are as unique. In my opinion, they're as unique as your fingerprints, as your DNA. They're unique to you. It was your charisma, your love gift, your gift of grace, 
your special enabling. God gave you a unique ability to serve him in unique ways. I can look out here and I can see all the difference and the distinction in the ways that you serve and what your skills and your talents and your giftedness would blend towards. God gave it to you as a token of his love and grace. You may not know exactly what that gift is. I don't know there are people have invented spiritual gift tests. I'm not into that kind of thing. It's a man-made test anyway. Um, if you're actively seeking to serve the Lord, I think that your gifts will become apparent to you. What you're good at, what you're not good at. Now, by the way, I think that you know we have entirely too much of a tendency to say, well, I'm good at that, so I'll do that. But I'm not good at this, so I won't do it. No, no, no. That's at, in all of life, we should seek to improve, all right? Um, at various times, I've studied personality traits that fit with personality types. And it's an interesting study. It's not all bad. I, I think that people have used it to pigeonhole a certain person, and then they everything that person does is explained in terms of their personality type. And that's where it goes off the rails. I don't think that's helpful at all. But it can be helpful to know what your personality type is because there are strengths and weaknesses that go with that. And you want to know what your strengths are because you want to use those. And you want to know what your weaknesses are so you can improve those. But, you know, now I'm sounding like a shrink or a psychologist or something like that, and I don't think you want to do that. I want to preach to you that God has gifted you in special ways and that you are a steward of that. So you then have a responsibility to minister to other people the way that God has gifted you. That's what you're to do. Again, not focusing on what I can't do or what I'm not good at other than for the sake of improving what needs to improve. But taking what God has given me and using it to bless and benefit others. <clears throat> the gift God gave you is the grace that we're speaking of in this passage. Again, hopefully that's evident. And God is telling you that the gift he gave you is not for you alone. It is for others. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift God gave you is not for your own self-promotion. It's given for the benefit of the church of God, for the benefit of the people of God. God's grace, in fact, in your life is manifested in the church as you exercise your spiritual gifts in the church, it becomes apparent to others that this is an area he's really good at. And hopefully then we're able to say, hey, this would be a great thing if you, you're really good at this, if you would do more of this. 